0: our text this morning, as we hear from the living God and his word is 2 Samuel chapter 22, verses 1 through 51. And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Which means that this morning, What we're considering is David's personal reflection, I think. David's personal reflection on everything that's happened in our study of Samuel, which is a lot. There was no one day when David was delivered from all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. We've seen over and over how the Lord's deliverance of David continued all through his life and kingship. As I read it, 2 Samuel chapter 22 is David speaking at the end of it all. For those of you who are joining us this morning here at Christ the King, we are in the conclusion section of Samuel now. Last week we saw how the final four chapters in 2 Samuel form a distinct unit. Chapters 21 to 24 are the conclusion of the entirety of First and Second Samuel, and you'll recall how these four chapters have a six-fold structure that is arranged in a, in a symmetrical way. Chapter 21 had the first two parts in it last week. We considered the first of those carefully. We'll consider the second part when we come to its corresponding section in a couple weeks in chapter 23, the list of David's mighty men. This morning, we are in the third part of the six, which means that now we're at the heart of it. This is the first half of the two-part poetic center of these four chapters. Next week, we take up the second half, which is shorter, in verses 1 through 7 of chapter 23. And these two halves basically work this way. The psalm before us this morning is David offering a retrospective song concerning all that's happened in his life. Next week, we come to David's prospective words as he looks ahead to the future. And it's a simple observation to make, but consider this for a moment, that I think it's interesting that at the heart of the conclusion of Samuel, what we get are David's reflections I mean, there have been moments when we got to hear David speak or to pray in the course of 1 and 2 Samuel, but for the most part, it has been the narrator giving us a read of what happened in David's life, but not here at the end. There's no author's summary at the core of the conclusion of Samuel. Instead, we hear from David himself. Now, of course, the author of Samuel makes the decision to place David's psalm here, Those of you who read through the psalms regularly may recognize this text. It's Psalm 18, or it's very nearly exactly Psalm 18. There's a few minor differences that don't need to concern us. The point is, by opting to place this psalm here at the conclusion of Samuel, our author's saying this, that in the end, David got it right, that in the end, David himself could see clearly what it all meant. Chapter 22 is a poetic theological commentary on the history of David offered by David himself. It is a history that could have been narrated as that of a great and powerful king, but instead this chapter ensures that we understand it as the action of a great and powerful God. David can only give thanks for what God has done. That's what this text is about. There are 51 verses to cover, which means we won't look at them all. But I do want to cover the entire psalm in some way, so let me give you the structure that we'll work with, and at points then we'll focus in with greater detail than at others. This psalm has four parts, I think. At the beginning, there's an introduction. At the end, there's a conclusion. So those are two obvious parts. But then in the body of the psalm, I think we find another two sections to which I'll give these headings. I think verses 5 through 31 are about the king's deliverance. And then verses 32 to 46 are about the king's dominion. It's about David's deliverance in 5 to 31. It's about David's dominion in 32 to 46. So the introduction is obviously verses 2 to 4. The conclusion is 47 through 51. There are other divisions you could make, but it's probably best just to keep in mind those two main headings, except that I will add this, that as we'll see, I think, The bedrock level or the heart of this psalm is in verses 21 to 31. Those verses are in the deliverance section as I outlined it, but I think they function to support both the way David understands his deliverance and his dominion. So it'll be verses 21 to 31 where we'll try to end this morning as we consider what they have to say about David and about the Lord. And I think about us too. So if you have your Bibles in front of you, let's do what we can as, as rapidly as we can do it. Verses two to four are the brief introduction here. And what we find is basically what we will also find in the conclusion that comes in verses 47 to 51. David praises the Lord for what the Lord has done in his life. Verse two. He said, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, my savior. You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. The psalm begins with the intense praise of David as he pours forth a barrage of images, all conveying that his God makes him safe. And it's very personal, isn't it? He's my rock, my fortress, my shield, my stronghold. You save me, David says. I am saved. For David, knowing God was about being safe from real and threatening dangers. And we know what David's talking about here. We've read the story. There were violent enemies who wanted David dead. Among them were Goliath and the Philistines. Among them were Saul. Some of those with Saul. There was even David's own son, Absalom. And in many remarkable ways, on numerous occasions, the Lord had saved David from violence. That's why David regarded the Lord as worthy to be praised. And if you look down at the conclusion as well, Some of the same themes are repeated there, though without all the imagery. The key image is there in verse 47. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation. Verse 49, who brought me out from my enemies. You exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from men of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing praises to your name. So you see the theme of deliverance very clearly in both the introduction and in the conclusion. So let's move then to verses 5 to 31, which are all about the king's deliverance, as I suggested. And again, there's not one specific moment that David speaks about here. This is a thanksgiving that reflects many moments of deliverance. Listen to the circumstances David describes in verses 5 and 6. For the waves of death encompassed me, he says torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. David's language is extreme because at many points the danger was extreme. David's enemy sought his death and with it the annihilation of his kingdom. And So David says here in poetry what he once said to Jonathan in prose. If you remember this moment in 1 Samuel 20, verse 3. There is but a step between me and death, David said. Which could be the summary of David's life at several points, as it most certainly was through the Saul years. And the point is, the Lord had done it. Verse 7. In my distress I called upon the Lord, to my God I called. From his temple, meaning in heaven, He heard my voice and my cry came to his ears. It was the intervention of God that spared David's life from the many dangers he'd faced. And so then look at the remarkable way that David now speaks of that God who heard his voice in verses 8 to 16 of this psalm. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils, devouring fire from his mouth. Verse 10, he bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. Verse 12, he made darkness around him his canopy. Thick clouds, a gathering of water. Verse 14, the Lord thundered from heaven and the Most High uttered his voice. He sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. The Lord hears and the Lord comes and it's as if Sinai happens all over again. The quaking, the fire, the smoke. Why? Because the Lord is angry that his servant is afflicted. He comes in world convulsing power to rescue David. And I mean, (laughs) we've been so long in narrative in Samuel. That I don't know how this sounds to you, but I can imagine it seems a little over the top, might you say. You and I, or at least I, have a tendency to patronize the poetry here. We say things like, well, of course David's speaking imaginatively. David's moved by what the Lord did for him. If we want to really know what really took place, well, we have the historical narratives of Samuel to go back and look at. And and I get it, but I think we need to be careful because in one way, yes, David is using extremely vivid poetic language here, but that's because David doesn't want to just tell us facts about the Lord. David wants us to see the Lord in his saving fury. David doesn't intend to merely inform us about what God has done. He wants us to see the God who did it. This part of the psalm, David's deliverance, made me wonder, could it be that we too quickly play down what the Lord is doing, perhaps in our own lives, even in the life of someone like David in a narrative like Samuel? I mean, David eludes Saul's spear in 1 Samuel 18, and the earth didn't seem to quake. Saul comes to Naoth in 1 Samuel 19, where he'd gone to hunt David, and it says the spirit came upon Saul, and Saul ends up being able to do nothing but prophesy. And we didn't see any smoke or fire. Saul was closing in on David to about an inch of David's life in 1 Samuel 23 when a messenger arrived yelling about a Philistine invasion. Remember that? We didn't then hear the Lord's thunder. David seemed doomed by his own foolishness as he went out to march with the Philistines against Israel in 1 Samuel 29 when the men of Philistia themselves protested. The heavens didn't part in the sky, as far as we know. The point is this. Why did all of these things in Samuel and many others beside them happen precisely when they did and how they did? David knows why, you see. It's because the heaven-rending, fire-breathing, earth-shaking God rode his cherub and laid bare the foundations of the world verse 16 says that's why david knows the creator god whose authority and power reach all the way down to the fundamentals of both the sea and the dry land this is the god in whose presence one experiences awe but the really awesome thing Is that this is a God who uses his power in his created world, not to wreck havoc. But to guide events. And to rearrange happenings and to save his people. Which means that you don't have to be able to feel the earthquake or see the smoke or hear the thunder to know the power of which David speaks. This is the God who brings all of his awesomeness to his work of calling and saving and redeeming human beings like David. The Creator God lifted David up out of the waters. That's the point. And he's the same God who's acted and whose sovereign hand is at work to bring his, his purposes about in our lives, too, brothers and sisters. Listen to David come to the point in verse 17. He sent from on high, he says, He took me. He drew me out of many waters. Verse 19, second half of the verse, The Lord was my support. Verse 20, He brought me out into a broad place. And so, here at the end of his reign, what's the fundamental point David's making? It's that he survived all the dangers he met in his life, not because he was wily and cunning, or because he was a brilliant military strategist, or because he was just lucky. No, the truth was that it was the Lord who rescued him. And so that's where we come to in verse 20. Second half of the verse, he rescued me. Only then David takes a new step in this psalm and says more. He rescued me because, David says, he delighted in me. Now, I want you to hold on to that last little bit of verse 20. Don't let it go emotionally for a moment. You sense that David's moving down a level there. So far, it's been all about how the Lord delivered the king. The end of verse 20 then begins to move us into why the Lord delivered the king. And I think we need to unpack that, but that means moving into the heart of the psalm in verses 21 to 31. I think verses 21 to 31 explain not only the deliverance of David that we've considered, but they will also explain the dominion of David as well. So, If you can hold on to it, just before we go look at those verses, let's quickly glance at the next part of chapter 22 that goes from verses 32 to 46, which is the section about the king's dominion. And you can see how in verse 32 David returns to the key image. For who is God but the Lord, David asks, and who is a rock except our God? Only now David's rock is the God who equips and empowers him not just the God who keeps him safe. Look at verse 34. He made my feet like the feet of a deer. Verse 35, he trains my hands for war. So that verse 38 says, I pursued my enemies and destroyed them. Verse 39 says, I consumed them. I thrust them through so that they did not rise. But why did that happen? It was again because of the Lord. Verse 40, for you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me. The God who had delivered David so many times had done it for a purpose, to give David a dominion, to make him a great king. And you see the outcome of all of this, beginning in verse 44, the Davidic king would have a rule that extends to the world. You kept me as the head of the nations verse 44 says people whom I had not known served me foreigners came cringing to me We did see some moments of that in Samuel There was the mention of a of a king named Toi of Hamath in 2 Samuel 8 verses 9 and 10 There were the Gittites who marched out of Jerusalem with David in chapter 15 There were those who brought provisions to David and his men at the end of 2 Samuel 17. We've seen some of David's influence that's extending over some of the nations. But here the point seems to grow even larger. The dominion of this king begins to take on a future dimension, we sense. The glimpses that we saw were just a preview, a pledge of the day when all kings will bow down and all nations will serve David's royal descendant. That's what's picked up at the very end of the psalm. Look at verse 50. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. It'll be the focus of our time next week to consider that future that David foresees here. Suffice it to say the Lord's promise is sure because the Lord's power will bring it to pass. Just as David knows it was the Lord's power that had established his dominion in Israel, he was his was the God who gave me vengeance and brought down peoples under me, David says in verse 48. For his deliverance and for his dominion, David can only give thanks to God. That's 2 Samuel 22. But I suggest to you that then it brings us back now at the end to the deeper level question of this Thanksgiving psalm, which is why? Why would God do this? Why David? Why deliver David? Why give David this dominion? Why do what God has done in the storyline of First and Second Samuel? And we've already seen the answer. He rescued me, David sang in verse 20, because he delighted in me. I think you can say that's also why the Lord establishes David's dominion, too, because as verse 42 states in the psalm, David's enemies cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. The Lord delighted in David. Only then it seems that David goes on to explain that in verses 21 to 31. And I want you to look at these verses here. I'm just in fact, we're almost out of time. So I'm just going to work with verses 21 to 25 for the sake of time. This is David speaking. And here's what he says. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to my cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me and from his statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him and I kept myself from guilt and the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. (laughs) Now, friends. I'm curious to know how you reacted when Kareem read those verses. Because you know you know what you know what my first reaction was in trying to work with this text this week. I mean, my first reaction was something like, "Really, David? The Lord dealt with you according to your righteousness." The cleanness of your hands? Or how about verse 24? I was blameless before him. Blameless. You mean when you took Bathsheba? Or when you had Uriah murdered? Or when you failed to do anything about Amnon's wickedness? Or when you let Joab get away with whatever Joab wanted to because it benefited you in some way? I mean, David was never perfect. There were low moments back in 1 Samuel 2. We talked all about those. But if you've been here for the last few months. You feel this. This whole section we've been in. And then here's David's song in chapter 22, and it's astonishing. I mean, do you talk this way? Do you even think it could be okay for anyone ever to talk this way my friends this is challenging stuff this is David explaining what it meant that the Lord delighted in him and there are maybe a dozen ways that people scholars pastors commentators a dozen ways people try to handle what David says in this part of 2 Samuel 22. It runs the whole range. It goes from, David didn't actually say this part, this was added later by an editor to paint David as an ideal king, to, well, this only applied to the early part of David's reign before 2 Samuel 11, to... Well, David only means this in a limited way as he compares himself to Saul, who's obviously less righteous than he was. And so he's speaking hyperbolically in contrast to Saul's wickedness here. I mean, there are lots of solutions that people put forward for these verses. Let me make two points and then try to sketch for you a way through this. And I know I'm going to be touching on some things we don't have time to work through carefully this morning, but don't worry because we start Hebrews in September and you better believe some of these things will come up there. (laughs) Let me make two points briefly, which I'm drawing here from an analysis of 2 Samuel 22 I read this week and found myself deeply moved by. First point is this. The author of Samuel isn't dumb when our author puts this psalm at this point of Samuel, he knows full well that we'll read it having already come through the accounts of David's sin in his narrative, right? We know David was an adulterer and a murderer. He was other things too because we've read Samuel. The author knows that we know that. Which means that the question has to be so then... How does an adulterer and a murderer say what he says here? Now, that's me dismissing in this the attempts that are made to say, well, David didn't actually say this, or David only meant it to refer to just some early parts in his reign and all of that. I don't go any of those routes. That's the first point. Second point is this. I don't think we can go the route of saying David didn't really mean what it sounds like. This is very popular. Lots of people argue that David just means here that ultimately he remained faithful. That ultimately he never wickedly departed from his God, as verse 22 says. He only sort of, you know, weakly departed or something like that. (laughs) I mean, yes, he, he sinned, but David repented. Unlike Saul... So that David could finally say that he kept the ways of the Lord, right? And that sounds sort of good. That sounds good. And there might be some truth in it, but I just don't think it rings fully true. Lots of people do go this way. One commentator says, David doesn't claim perfection in life's particulars, but wholeheartedness in life's commitment. Hmm. Another author says, David was humbly saying that the general pattern of his life demonstrated that his heart's desire was to walk in the way of covenant faithfulness. Well sort of. <laughs> but you see somehow neither of those solutions or others like them quite work for me as I read and I reread and I reread again these verses this week. I mean, you look at Psalm 51 which is David's great psalm of repentance after his sin against Bathsheba. It just doesn't sound like David means, Well, I know I sinned, but my heart's in the right place, Lord, because see, I'm repenting now, right? No, he says, Created me a clean heart, oh God. He doesn't present his generally healthy heart to God for a little mending. He says, create a clean one. So, I don't want to dilute what David's saying here, but we're out of time, so I need to say something. So here's my sketch. And you can see what you think. And you might not like it. What if what if the tension we feel here is because we look at David and we think, man, God must be disappointed with this guy. Maybe God's even disgusted. I mean, here's his chosen king and David turns out to be a sinner. And not just a sinner. It it seems like it's really bad sin to us. How much more than it must seem that way to God? right I mean do you get what i'm asking do we sort of put ourselves in god's place and decide that well if we were god we'd be kind of put out by david right but that's not right remember verse 20 he rescued me because he delighted in me god delighted in David. Do you think it's even possible that God delighted in David at the end of his life? Brothers and sisters, I'd like to suggest to you that that's exactly what God did. That that's exactly how God felt towards david and of course i don't mean by that you know you've heard me preach for months i don't mean by that that god didn't care about david's sin god cared a lot about david's sin god sent nathan to david to call him out god made sure david's newborn son died god promised a sword in david's house god judged david's sin but in 2 samuel 12 verse 13 nathan the prophet says The Lord has put away your sin. Which, as we said, didn't remove the consequences, but that meant something. Right. And what I wonder is if maybe the problem is that we don't really believe that. We we don't really believe that God doesn't actually remember David's sin and stick him with it. Because we sure do. But David prayed in Psalm 51, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Blot out my transgression. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. What does it mean for God to blot out your sin, brothers and sisters? Look, at David wasn't righteous because he prayed this way. He didn't earn God's merciful response by showing his heart was still in the right place after all. No. God cleansed David from his sin. It's what God did, not what David did, that made David whiter than snow. Which brings me to a deeper point, and that is that God forgave David's sin because God was committed to David. Not because David was committed to God. Right? This is Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. That is the Lord's steadfast love for David. And I suggest to you this, that David knew he was a forgiven sinner because David knew that the Lord was committed to him. That the Lord delighted in him. And that means David's hands were clean. He didn't have blood on his hands any longer. That means David was blameless before him. As verse 24 says, not because David was sinless, but because David's sins were forgiven. And do you know what else? I think the Lord answered the rest of David's prayer in Psalm 51 too. He didn't cast David away from his presence. The Lord didn't take his Holy Spirit from him, from David. Which means what? Which means, listen to me, that along with all of David's evil actions for which he was forgiven, there were righteous actions as well. This is the Christian life, friends. The grace of God would have shaped David's behavior as it does ours, which doesn't mean that we're now sinless, but it does mean we manifest the fruit of the Spirit. It does mean that verses 21 to 25 of 2 Samuel 22 do describe much of what we have seen in David's life. We saw many points where David kept the ways of the Lord and did not wickedly depart from his God, as he says in verse 22. We saw many points at which David kept the Lord's rules and kept himself from guilt, as he says in verses 23 and 24. What if this is how it works? What if David's sins, David's evil actions don't undermine the fruit of God's grace in his life precisely because his wicked deeds have been forgiven taken away washed clean what if David in these verses can rightly describe his life without reference to his failures not because he pretends they didn't happen or because he's just actually self righteous. But because David's deeply aware that God had done what Nathan told him God had done, that the Lord had put away his sin. What if what puzzles us about these verses is that David sees his life as God? Sees his life. 2 Samuel 22 tells us David knew that his deliverance and his dominion were the work of the Lord his rock. But can you see how at bottom David knew all of that was true because of a single deep eternal truth that David also grasped. God delighted in him. (coughs) I ask you this morning, can you say those words about yourself and know them to be true? What's your view of God, Christian? Just how much or how little Do you think he loves you? Here's a hint. It's no less than David. Because the same way David was forgiven and given new life by the Spirit is the way you and I are. 1 John 4, verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And I know you aren't the anointed king of Israel, but in ways unique to your own circumstances and for your own life, God has delivered you. And in ways that will be different for each of us, God has given you dominion, not over a political territory, of course, but over some part or aspect of the world God created. And so this morning with David, you can praise him for those things and say they are so. Because at bottom, you know this single, deep, eternal truth. That the Lord delights in you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.